Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. JessicaLazelleCannon.com. I am your host today, Scott Cannon, co-owner of Cannon Light Media. I'll be producing today's podcast. With me today is Jessica Cannon of JessicaLazelleCannon.com, author of the forthcoming book, Proactive Caregiving, A Guide to Becoming a Healthier Caregiver. So Jessica, can you tell us a little bit um, about who you are, where you're from, what brought you to uh, this book, how it came to be? I know it's a, a lot to kind of take in for the first question, so let's Start with the first one. Where are you? Where are you from? Where were you born? Right, I was actually born in New York. New York City girl. Yes, and still am. <laughs> but born in New York, and I was only there for two very short years before um, my father moved us to Texas. Which part? We started in San Antonio, Texas, okay. for the first couple of years. I think about five or six years, and then he transitioned into Austin, Texas, where we've been ever since. Well, that's a great city. It is. So, um, so you grew up in Austin for, for the most part. Um, right. About schools, where did you go to school? I went to schools in South Austin. I graduated from Crockett High School, and then I turned around into college from there on out, and went to uh, Concordia University mm-hmm. and then Park University. Well, what did you study? Well, I started out with business management. Although by the time I finished my first degree, um my passion towards analytical data started to kick in. And so I went the accounting route and got my second degree. In accounting? In accounting, yes. And a CPA shortly after, I assume? Shortly thereafter, because you can only go so far before you hit a plateau. And um, my hunger for growing knowledge was just there. So, So it sounds like at this point you're a working CPA. Yes. In accounting. Yes. Okay, so I'm not tracking with, we're talking about proactive caregiving here. How do we go from being a, a CPA to proactive caregiving? What's, what's, where's the connection there? Right. So while I was working, going to school and raising a family, mom was also still working and she was a teacher, a junior high teacher. And between their family, our family, her life started to take a turn and we never really paid close enough attention because when when you're living life trying to balance everything everybody's about me when you're kids too we were kids and so some of the odd things that were happening were just odd it wasn't until we were all older and I say all my siblings I'm a middle child I have an older sister and a younger sister it wasn't until we were older adults that some of the odd things growing up started to seem bizarre. Well, the 80s were pretty bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it goes beyond that. <laughs> uh, 
this is something that the dots then were nowhere close to being connected Mm -hmm. and the things that were happening the behaviors the medical issues just everything seemed at the time random issues and so I was trying to work and grow a career and go in a certain direction but as life happened and as what we weren't aware of then the dementia was already taking a toll on mom which forced well I say forced created a situation that their marriage after 37 years ended in divorce and mom started to gradually need more and more care and so at some point I had to step away from my career Wow. To become her full-time caregiver. Right. So so you shifted from from a, a lifetime of education as an accountant getting getting that CPA and I think I think it's fair to say that most people even without accounting knowledge understand that a CPA license is a very difficult thing to obtain. I think that's pretty common knowledge. So I can imagine I can only imagine the the struggle of stepping away from that, of, of transitioning from a working CPA to having to, to to step away to take care of your mother. Can what was that like for you? Absolutely. I'm sure. I mean, emotionally, I'm sure it was just. But can you describe that for us? It was a very emotional change, and for me, because it was what I had identified with for well over ten years. Right. I mean, by the time I was stepping away, I had been an accountant for eighteen years. Uh, not necessarily a licensed CPA for as long, but I had already been an accountant for 18 years. That was where my identity lived. Uh, yeah. That's who I was. It's It wasn't just what I did. It was who I was. It was my thought process. It was everything. Yeah, the, the first question people ask you when they meet you is, what do you do? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so stepping away from that, um, it, it caused me to come to this caregiving journey to be very angry. Yeah. I came to it uh, kicking and screaming, I guess you could say, because I, I tried to find the ways to um, work from home, work remotely, um, part time or, you know, where t- I was able to fill in the blanks. But it just it the demand was higher than what I could do on a part time basis. Right. And so after going to college for 10 years and taking another two years for a license, stepping away was disappointing yeah well I, I can well like I say I can only imagine that transition so we we grew up in Texas we've gone to school for decades we've attained that that license that CPA license and then we've had to step away from it to to become a caregiver where does the book come into that how did the book come to be I mean Right. By your own admission, it's it's a it's a difficult transition. There's a lot of anger and resentment to it. How do we get from from that to to this book, Proactive Caregiving? Well, just before I stepped away from the corporate world, I started to receive some spiritual guidance, and I fought it in the beginning because it was the guidance was to let go and to step into a more spiritual career. And in my mind, spiritual career meant. I don't know, working for a church or um, coming from a very strict faith-filled family. That meant um, a lot more sacrifice than I was actually ready for. And so when I actually tried to do the whole soul searching, what do I do next? Um, Because caregiving, it just, I knew what was, at that time, I knew what it was going to require of me. 
but it didn't seem like it was going to be enough. So I went back to my whole childhood roots and Mm -hmm. what was I passionate about. And for me, writing was what saved me going through my adolescent years. And so um, stepping away from the corporate world, the first thing I did was create a blog. Okay. And so the blogs were my cathartic written therapy to get it off your chest, pour it all get out. Get through all yeah. of this and, and try to understand what in the world is happening to mom, what is happening to me, why are our worlds colliding in this way? Right. Um, so we had the typical family drama and stepping into mom's world was hard to do, but in order to do it, I had to commit to it. And so over a period of time, stepping into our world, I started to see how she came to be this way. The toll of the years of poor habits, the toll of avoidance of Mm -hmm. dealing with her own health and where this came to be. And so uh, bit by bit, the chapters of the book just started to materialize materialize so so i'm taking what i'm hearing is in learning when she got this diagnosis it sounds like you did a lot of research yes i had to diving into to who the the what where how how and all that well when if you're someone or have a loved one that's dealing with cancer uh you're rushed right away into immediate uh, responses because it's most likely going to entail surgery, chemo, radiation, that kind of thing. But when you get the diagnosis of, and quite honestly, in the beginning, you don't really get a diagnosis because there's so many different types of dementia that this, it's a process. And sometimes it takes the doctors several months before they can come to any kind of understanding because the definitive diagnosis is at death when they can do an actual autopsy on the brain Um, so this is where the research and again my background with the education and school this is where I turned for my own peace of mind and so research was I guess the student and me trying to figure it out so understand and and it sounds like too once you do that as you alluded to earlier you can see that even though they may not be able to definitive, definitively diagnose it until after death, the early warning signs are there right? well in your early 20s, 30s, possibly, in some cases. Right, and that's where this, is, this book has grown to be a very important piece because people of my age group and younger need to know this information because a lot of society now assumes that they don't have to worry about this. This yeah. is not something that they need to deal with until they're it's just old much people. late. Yeah, it's just yeah. old people, um, 65 and older. I don't have to worry about it. But that is not the case. So proactive, okay, yes. to me says there's something I can do to to preemptively prevent possibly this from happening. What is an example of someone in our age generation that can proactively do to to prevent or slow down or minimize the possibility of this disease? Well, this goes, and that's a good good question because this goes further back. Um, When I was trying to find that starting point, how far back do you go? How how young can someone be and actually start? And that's when I started realizing the proactive part of this, it actually begins with 
the child. And so therefore the child, in order to get their educational route going, then we have to reach the parents Mm -hmm. because this disease, and for what I'm learning and what I've researched, dementia is no longer a disease to be considered merely genetic. When we have families and they say, the first thing the doctors ask is, are you genetically, what is your history? You know, they're trying to figure out if you're genetically disposed, predisposed. If you had a great grandfather, a grandfather and a father, and they all had this uh, similar diseases, maybe not the same variation, but they all had them. So you assume it's going to be you. That's an incorrect assumption to make. Really? It is because it's environmental. It's cultural. If you lived the same way your father and your grandfather lived and you adapted and learned their same habits, then you're setting yourself up for the same outcome. So if I grew up in the South eating nothing but fried foods, my health is not going to be conducive to... The first thing that comes to mind with that scenario is if your family, and very similar to my mother, a family of 10 siblings, Mm -hmm. and they all have defibrillators. Oh, wow. So when you have poor habits, you're going to expect to have a bad heart. And when you have a bad heart, your brain is going to suffer. Yeah. It's all environmental, cultural. So one of the things we can do now is we start to teach our children better habits. What kind of habits? Well, this is where we go into uh, lifestyle issues or habits as we were saying diet exercise sleep sleep meditation meditation yes the four wheels four wheels of a vehicle to a better life oh, to like a that. proactive life you oh. can't drive a car on three wheels so why would you live your life and expect to avoid the outcome right so it sounds like diet can be a, a big part of this then it potentially. is <laughs> i can't even put a percentage to it at this point but it is a large piece of this when you watch TV and you see all the commercials and the marketing and everything that tells you you need this and it's something um, the most recent one that actually infuriated me was a certain soda suggesting <laughs> Let's go to bring a diet <laughs> drink for a breakfast meal yeah breakfast soda yeah that was that was I saw that commercial and trying I to you it, know yeah. everything now this movement of women in power and trying to suggest to this woman of business and empower that she needed this diet soda in order to begin her day and put that strong foot forward. And that's our culture. (laughs) We're doing it to ourselves. Yeah. The amount of sugar in that alone, I'm sure is, is right. Unhealthy. Our body can't regenerate or the cells can't regenerate when we have excess sugar to break it, everything down. Yeah. So it sounds like there are a lot of tips like that in this book about diet um, yes. and health, sleep. Um, what about uh, financially speaking? Is there anything that people need to know of to proactively prepare uh, for this kind of event oh, in, yes. in their life? What, so what now you're you... talking about my area. Yeah. So Stepping I, I... away from accounting, <laughs> you know, um, and that's where I came to this as a proactive because in accounting, everything is... Um, well, I say everything. A lot of accounting is based off of historical data. So you're in reactive mode. 
And unless you get into the trending and forecasting, then you're not looking, you're not able to see that proactive approach in business. So when I stepped into mom's world and that mindset, that was the only way I knew how to look at this. Mm -hmm. How do we stop looking at the reactive issues at hand and start looking at proactive ways? Because honestly, stepping into her world, yes, I was angry, but once I started to get further into her world, it scared me. It made me panic that this was going to be me someday. Yeah. So I personally (laughs) want to proactively prevent going in this direction. This will not be my story. Well, and and if if there are things that, that you can do and that we can all do to, to break that cycle of dementia, then, then yeah, it sounds like very important information to get out there. Um, so who is this book for? Is there a, an age group that this is for? I mean, because when people hear Alzheimer's and dementia, we immediately think of grandma and grandpa, right? Right. 80, 90-year-old people. But from what we're learning more and more, it sounds like it can affect people in their 50s and 60s. So, and 40s. And, well, 30s and 40s. 30s and 40s even. So so they're really, then this book, it sounds like really is for everybody. All it age, is. All age it ranges. Is. And that's why I decided that this needs to go back towards the starting point, which is our children. Mm-hmm. And that means it's our parents of many, of many ages. Whether you're in your 20s, your 30s, or your 40s, your habits that you are instilling into your children are creating this. Wow. Plain and simple. Yeah. And just as you said, a lot of people assume that this is grandma and grandpa. No, this is mom and dad. Yeah. This started to happen to my mother at the age of her early 40s. She had her first defibrillator placed by the time she was 55. So she started off with vascular dementia, which became early onset Alzheimer's, which also later became frontal temporal dementia. Mm -hmm. And that in itself, understanding how this happens, there is a roadmap that shows you. There was a starting point that she had early enough time in life to correct. But when you stay in those poor habits, you're on a course that's going one direction. Well, so I I understand that the book is still in progress, but... When are you when are you targeting for it to be available? The goal is to have it completed and available for the public by fall of 2019. So it is in um, second draft right now, and the editorial process is just now getting started. And and how can how can people find out more about the book and, and its availability and updates on all of that? Well, they can go to jessicalazellcannon.com and subscribe there, so that as new material, um, whether it be blogs or vlogs, and uh, updates towards the book come out they'll be the first to know awesome and so this podcast this is of course the first one we're doing this to really find out more about about you um how does this podcast on a larger scale going forward tie into to the website and the book right the book is going to be a guidebook that covers multiple areas from the preliminary symptoms, the diagnosis, the legal pieces, the financial pieces, um, preventative measures. That's one area. But the podcast is more so the day-to-days. Okay. So that 
other caregivers, and it's not just dementia. When you look at this, you know, there are parents who care for uh, special needs children, um, autism, for example. That is very taxing on our bodies, and we don't realize it. And so the day-to-day of becoming that better caregiver, and it's not to say that you're doing something wrong. It's to say that you're giving your all to your loved one, and you're forgetting yourself. And maybe you're not alone in this situation. Exactly. That as you're going through this, and it's extremely helpful to hear others and their stories and how they are managing so that you know you're not the only one. You're not alone. Yeah. And if you can understand how someone else is able to get through them, then maybe you can use similar tactics in your own caregiving. Right. So in this newfound role as a caregiver, can you give us uh, maybe a funny anecdote that you've come across? <laughs> the struggles of day-to-day routine, um, the simple things. One of the first things that I really had to get a handle on is how a grown woman can take a water pick and turn it into a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> And making sure that I have safe distance before it's turned on. It's, it's, I say it's funny now, but part of this is because as she gets older, she's losing the muscle control. There's some muscle atrophy. And even the simple part of pressing the on and off button. Yeah. And at the same time, having to multitask. And for anyone else that would see this as, oh, it's just a simple... I'm just brushing my teeth or I'm just doing this one step. But for her, she actually has to concentrate to make sure the water pick is in her mouth before she presses on. Yeah. And before she removes it from her mouth that she remembers to turn it off. And uh, there's been a couple of times I've been sprayed in the face and we feel like we, the bathroom's going to need some remodeling. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, that's, that's a very lighthearted example, and I'm sure there are just as many um, examples that are not so lighthearted. Right, right. So. There's There are the days that it's the mundane routine, and even if we make it through a day where there's no issues, no emotional outbreaks, yeah. um, and it's those few victories that we are, sometimes are too far view in between, but it's those victories that we hang on day by day, but then you go to bed at night and the brain resets mm-hmm. and you have to have that same mundane routine the next day and only hope that what worked yesterday, the positive reinforcements, the encouragement that kept the outbreaks at bay right. worked again the next day. And sometimes they don't. Good they days and don't. bad days. Absolutely. Good days and bad days. Wow. And so the podcast is going to get further into that. Awesome. So people can kind of come in and and, and realize that, that there is help, there's support, and they're not in it by themselves. Because I can understand how when you're caring for someone in the home, you can feel very isolated. Yes. So maybe this is a way that they can feel, even if, even if it's just a voice from their computer or their smartphone or their iPod that, there's someone there going through it with them mm-hmm. who has has found some ways that can possibly make it easier. And in addition to that, I, I'm trying to make it to be a little bit more interactive so that as um, 
people are able to subscribe, they can actually ask questions and tell me nice. their stories. Yeah. Uh, what are they facing? What are their issues? What Where are they getting hung up and stuck? And yeah. so then I can respond in such a way that says this is what either what worked for me or, hey, we're all learning together. I can do the research and yeah. here's what I found. Okay, so now I'm going to go a script here. I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. Mm. I know there's a a, a workbook and a, a, a workshop that you're also developing to kind of go along with this. Now, I know this may be a spoiler for some of the people, um, but can you tell us anything about that? Yes, I will give you a little tidbit on that. Um, so the book was one piece. The day-to-day was the other now in the podcast but the other part of it I realized there's a missing gap in between and that's where the educational piece comes in Um, some people are willing to uh, and able to attend support groups but not everybody and even the support groups that I've been able to attend the people that I've met over the last five years um, and the people coming in are coming in younger and younger every time they're asking the same questions. The same information is needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is where I pull together a curriculum that is more of an educational care called Caregivers Trinity. Okay. So it's very rooted in in a, a faith-based kind of foundation, it sounds like. Because when you say Trinity, I immediately think of Father Son. Coming from the soldierforchrist.net, Personally, I immediately think of Father, Son, Holy Spirit when you say Trinity. Right. And this actually came to me in a moment when I was meditating a year ago. And so it does have that connotation to it. Okay. Um, The Trinity are the three areas that caregivers must know and live by. Can you give us those three? Can you can you spool that for us? Let's give the people that are listening to the inaugural podcast a little a little inside, a little exclusive uh, gift here. What what is the what are the three pillars of the caregivers trinity? Okay, so before I tell you those three pillars, <laughs> let me just let me just give you this little tidbit of information. Okay, and this is why the caregiver trinity is needed. Today, an estimated five point seven million Americans are believed to have one or four one of the four types of Alzheimer's disease. Another American is diagnosed with Alzheimer's every 68 seconds. When you add in persons with one of the other 47 identified forms of dementia, and I did just say 47, like Lewy body, vascular dementia, which has five different variations, frontal temporal dementia, which has nine different types, Parkinson's dementia, Wernicke-Korsakoff's which is an alcohol dementia, Huntington's, AIDS dementia, and it goes on. The total number of Americans in some stage of dementia is closer to 10 to 11 million. That's a new case of dementia every 36 seconds. So when you think about that, or at least when I did, the caregiver trinity came about because the common themes that are involved in this, spirituality, lifestyle mm-hmm. and financial stability okay yeah we launch a boomerang that comes back to us later in life when we don't follow these three 
And so that's where caregiver. There you have it. And I want to, I want to ask one more question. Now we're coming up on our time here. I want to ask one more question and go back. You mentioned support groups. A lot of times people hear support groups. Oh, I don't need that. I, I, I'm not going to go there. There's a certain mm-hmm. taboo for some reason that, that can be um, attached to support groups. How important is that when it comes to being a caregiver and understanding um, these types of illnesses? It's extremely important. I did the same in the beginning because pride is, it's a, it's a dangerous way to, a dangerous mindset. Yeah. Um, for me, I didn't want the help. I didn't want to accept the reality of, of everything. And I was afraid that if I accepted the reality that this would become my story. But in hindsight, the support is there so that you can improve upon your story. And so we do need to avoid looking at support groups as... Um, kind of the same way people look at therapy. Uh, Mom came from a family time background that therapy was not viewed as something positive. And so some people will automatically say they don't have time for support groups. Uh, They won't give me what I need because the one of the automatic responses to dealing with this as caregiver stepping into a caregiver is that you feel you automatically isolate yourself because some of these day-to-day challenges make you feel alone that no one else understands what you're going through no one else is going through what you are going through and so you we we do it to ourselves we pull away yeah there's a certain level of maybe a feeling of inadequacy that people may have and so absolutely um because no one's gone to nursing school and that's what this has come down to is it's almost like we all need a small course in nursing <laughs> well and i'm sure there's a certain aspect of that to it too and i want to plug one of your recent blog posts was it's okay to feel inadequate i would encourage um those of you listening to go check that out there is a very inspirational video that goes along with it it kind of shows you that that we all have those moments in life but that's okay that there, that there is a foundation there for us and i think that support groups are a big deal when it comes to that, to overcoming those feelings and to understand that you are not alone, that there are those going through identical or similar cases and instances and and experiences in life that are caring for their own loved ones. Um, So yeah, I would encourage you listening. Don't, don't be afraid to to join a local support group when it comes to this. You you will need that support going forward. Um, We're, we're right at time here, Jessica. I want to thank you for, letting me be here today to, to introduce the podcast and the website, jessicalizelcannon.com, and the book that's coming out uh, later this year, uh, targeted later this year, Proactive Caregiving, A Guide to Becoming a Healthier Caregiver, um, which really is focusing on you as the caregiver and not so much the person receiving the care. Because if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your loved one. Exactly. Jessica, thank you very much for letting us be here today. I appreciate thank you. your time. I've enjoyed it. about proactive caregiving and to hear other episodes of this podcast, please go to www.jessicalizellcannon.com. That's www.jessicalizellcannon.com. This podcast is produced by Canon Light Media LLC, www.canonlightmedia.com. 
music provided by Chris Paradise. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Real fitness isn't just how you look. It's how you feel. If you want to get stronger and healthier, and most importantly, feel good, then make yourself your number one priority. Make yourself job one. I'm Jennifer Jacobs with Beachbody, and my job one program isn't like anything else you've tried. Job one is easy, effective, and for everyone. 20 minutes a day, five days a week, allowing you to put yourself first so you can be your best for others. Just go to Beachbody.com, and you can try job one today for free.